is in Matthew 2, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When, God, when King Herod heard that this was when King Herod, sorry, when the King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For all of you have come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for all the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard of the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, they said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so they were, so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that they had, he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in the Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her child and refuses to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life were dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that the uh, Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the distance of Galilee. And he went, sorry, and lived in the town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said 
through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 1. As you're turning there, I did do still, I need to apologize. The last couple of weeks, uh, I have neglected to announce that we're doing the Mary Hill Davis offering right now. Uh, as you guys know, the Mary Hill Davis offering, 100% of that offering goes to state missions. Um, so you may have seen some of the envelopes in your pews or in your bulletins or something like that. Um, please give to that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have some videos that we'll show as well uh, to kind of introduce you to some of the ministries that are taking place. But I do want to apologize about the fact that I have not, uh, have not uh, announced that yet. Our church goal is $1,200 uh, for this offering. So, uh, so be praying about how the Lord would have you give to that offering. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, we read this. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out like a uh, my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my, repro my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligent, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come to your house to hear your word preached. What I pray as we come to this sermon, this would not be my words. These would not be uh, Justin's eloquence. We know there's none of that. Lord, um, rather we pray that your word would be clear, that Lord, what would be heard today would be your word. God, give me boldness to proclaim this message today. Lord, give our ears the wisdom to hear. Lord, may we respond in a way that brings you glory. In your name, amen. amen. I have a, uh, a device down here. Have you ever seen one of these before? What does this remind you of? Huh? Track, right? A track meet? You ever heard somebody with one of these like standing on a street corner and preaching? Typically, we've, we, we call it street preaching, right? And people getting on, these, on one of these and they are yelling at people. In fact, uh, one particular instance, probably the, 
the best instance of a time when I've seen that, uh, when I was in college, there was a friend of mine who had a, uh, he had a pretty strong infatuation with Joel Osteen and his ministry. And um, so we had a Bible study group and he was like, hey guys, he's going to be in Atlanta, which is only a couple hours away from us. He's like, let's go and see Joel Osteen. And I was like, Okay, so there's a group of us from our Bible study. We all decided to go check this out. We had heard a little bit about him. This is, this is before he was really, really famous. Um, so we'd heard a little bit about him. We're just kind of interested to see what was going to happen. The event itself was, you know, it was whatever. It was Joel Osteen preaching, and you may know what that's like already. Um, but on the way to the event was probably the most interesting part and probably the most memorable part to me. There were people with bullhorns and whatever yelling and screaming at everybody walking to the event. Uh, anywhere from like Christian vegans who were, who were screaming and saying, if you eat meat, you're going against God. How dare you? You're going to hell because you eat meat. Um, to people screaming at the top of their lungs about the KJV and how you need to be reading the KJV and all of you guys are a bunch of evil people because you probably don't even have your Bibles with you. One particular person I remember, uh, again, we're a group of Bible college students going to this event. So we all had our Bibles with us. We didn't know we're going to hear someone preach, probably need our Bibles, whatever, right? So we're walking down to this thing. And also take into consideration, we were at a, we were from a school that was traditionally KJV only, right? So uh, this is, it was just so funny. One of these guys is like, it's like, I bet you guys don't even have your Bibles, do you? And one of my friends said, yep, I do. <laughs> and then he's like, but I bet it's not KJV. And he goes, yep, it is. <laughs> and he said, but I bet you don't read it. And he's like, Yes, I do. So it was so funny. The whole this that particular instance, you know, we 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 think of those kind of people, and we we kind of poke fun at them to some degree. Um, but even though we may have some hang-ups about in today's world about the merits of street preaching, I've, again, I've I've heard some people who do this really well too. So I know the funny example is fun to pick on that. But I've I know some people who do an excellent job. They do street preaching, and they do a very good job of it. And have had some very fruitful ministries through that. So even though we may have some hang-ups uh, today about the merits of street preaching, Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33, presents wisdom essentially as a Turner Burn street preacher who appeals to the inexperienced to turn and not perish. Wisdom warns us that we are headed for disaster because of our foolishness and our brokenness. Wisdom pleads with us to repent. This passage right here is essential to rightly understanding the book of Proverbs and the biblical concept of wisdom. Ultimately, wisdom is not a set of ideas. Wisdom is a person, Jesus Christ. You need to begin a personal relationship with him by faith. If you do, he will forgive your sin and give you his spirit. This will lead you to wisdom for uh, an, an, an abundant life here, an eternal life hereafter. But rejecting wisdom, again, that's Jesus, will wreck your life and condemn you eternally hereafter. Whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus determines if you walk in wisdom or in a way that seems right to you. There are three inescapable realities that we see in Proverbs 1, 20 through 23. First, we see that you need to accept Jesus, the wisdom of God. 
Second, we see that refusing to accept Jesus will wreck your life. And third, we'll see that accepting Jesus leads to true life. I loved how we, uh, the, the way that the scripture reading, as you guys have seen in our scripture reading, we started just walking through the book of Matthew. Um, not necessarily any, any particular reason, um, except for the fact that we are presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of Proverbs, so it'd be good to look at Jesus while we're doing this. One of the things that I noticed in our scripture reading today and in, and in, uh, in this children's sermon is that Jesus is, uh, is clearly shown in the Old Testament. And we, we, we think of this, and you know, we, we, you know, most of us know this, that Christ is revealed in the Old Testament, that all of the Bible is about Jesus. But some of us, for the book of Proverbs, we may, we may have a difficulty with this. And this is what we're trying to show, how Christ is revealed in the book of Proverbs. Now, often we, we approach Proverbs as if, as if it was some sort of self-help book, some tips for living a better life. The problem is that we are broken people. Even if we know the right thing to do, we still choose the wrong things. We say things before we think. We don't listen to advice. We tell lies. We disrespect our parents. We brag on social media. We waste time at work playing games on our phones. And we're stingy with our money. But Proverbs has good news for us. Wisdom is not primarily tips on how to, have, how to live life. Wisdom is a person with whom you can be in a relationship. Jesus of Nazareth. Now when your vertical relationship with God is right through Jesus Christ, your horizontal relationships with others and the world around you will be right as well. Proverbs teaches very clearly here that wisdom is personal. You have to know wisdom to walk the wise path in daily relationships, in the workplace, and in how you use your words. So we see here that wisdom, that we, in order to have wisdom, we need to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Look back at our passage here. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the marketplace, she raises her voice. This place here, she is a street preacher. This description here of where she is preaching, this is in the center of commerce. It's out in the streets. It's in the open squares at the city gate. She's not preaching from a pulpit inside of a building. She is on the streets where the people are as they're going around. And she is proclaiming to them that they need to follow her. Now, there's a couple of things we need to understand about what, what the author of the book of Proverbs is doing, what's going on here in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom here, again, is described as a person who is calling out. This is a, a, poetic, a poetic device that we, that's known as personification. So there's your big word for today, personification. The, a personification represents an abstract idea as a person or a creature. This type of mechanism grabs our attention. We use this same kind of mechanism to talk about our flag, saying something like, these colors don't run. Or when we say something like, opportunity knocks, or lady justice is blind, takes an abstract idea and makes it into a person or a creature to help it stand out, right? And, and help it uh, bring that kind of an illustration. That's what, what Solomon is doing here with wisdom. Now you may sit here and you may think to yourself, but pastor, 
Wisdom is described as a female. How is wisdom Jesus? How does that make any sense? I've got some good news for you. We can, we can deal with it. It's not an impossible task to deal with. We see here wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. There's a couple of things. There's three things we need to understand about, about, uh, about what's going on here, how we can still say that wisdom is revealing Jesus, even though wisdom is described as a woman. Um, first of all, Proverbs, the, the book of Proverbs, Solomon is, is talking symbolically about his wise teaching. He's using this personification to talk about his teaching. Now then, the word, that, the word for wisdom is a Hebrew word that is a feminine noun. Have, you ever, have anybody ever taken Spanish or French? Nouns take on gender in, in some languages. English doesn't do that nearly as much. But in some languages, uh, nouns take a certain gender. Now, Hebrew is very much like that, and the word for wisdom is a feminine noun. So, any pronoun is going to, by default, take on feminine pronouns, right? A feminine noun needs feminine pronouns, just like in Spanish or French. Whether or not that thing is a, you know, this is probably, you know, we call cars hers. Why do we call a car her? I don't know, because a car is a she. She just is, right? We don't know why. Now, does that car actually have gender? No, right? That would be crazy to say that a car actually has gender. There's no real gender to the car, but yet we still use pronouns like this. It's the same thing here that's going on with wisdom. The word wisdom here is a feminine noun, so it's described as a female. And a third reason here, and I think a little bit, uh, something that's maybe not as important, but still helpful, uh, Solomon knows that his son, remember the book of Proverbs is being written to his son, he knows that his son, who's a young man, will be drawn to an attractive woman. Isn't that true? Right? In order to get his son to listen to his teaching, he personifies it as, as a beautiful woman who he wants his son to marry. He's telling his son that learning the wisdom of Proverbs is as scintillating, exhilarating, enjoyable, and satisfying as pursuing and marrying a knockout woman. Right? If someone had come to me thinking of something that maybe I don't enjoy studying, right? I, I remember in college, my least favorite class I took, my major when I first went to college was a business class. I was, I was originally going to uh, do my degree in business, and, and uh, the Lord changed my heart and had changed my degree toward, uh, toward ministry. Uh, but, but the very first class I had was my freshman year, first semester, I took a class called Intro to Business. I hated that class. I hated it, right? But now, knowing what I know now, if someone had said, business is like charity, Right? I'd probably be like, yes. Let's, let's take notes on this class. Right? And guys, I'm sure you could fill in with your wife's name and imagine something that you dislike. And if someone said, you know, Wayne, that subject is just like Nancy. And you'd be like, I'm taking notes because I need to know. Right? This is something I want. So this, is, this, is, this is what Solomon is doing for his son. He's presenting, he's presenting wisdom as a, as a beautiful woman who even in, in later on in the book of Proverbs, he will call, her, call him to marry her, right? Marry her, marry wisdom, have a relationship with her. You need her, right? So there's a, 
That's that. There's that also that aspect that he is he is pleading with his son to be in relationship with her. So then, from a, from another aspect of scripture, how we know that wisdom then is Christ, Proverbs wisdom, we will see in chapters eight and nine of the book of Proverbs is the is also God's wisdom. God reveals to us what Solomon probably did not know that Jesus is God's wisdom in the flesh. So while Solomon at this at this time may not quite understand that Jesus is God's wisdom. What God will show us is that he is in 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and verse 30. We read this. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is from him that you are in Christ who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So scripture is clear that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Christ is the embodiment and fulfillment of the wisdom of Proverbs in the same way that he is the embodiment of the word itself, as we saw in John chapter 1. So ultimately, the only way to become wise is to accept Jesus' invitation into a personal relationship by faith. Now let's look at the call here. Continuing on, verse 21 says, at the head of the noisy street, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. This is what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is the call that wisdom, that, that wisdom gives. Essentially, this is the call that Jesus gives. Why, O oh simple ones, will you stay in your, will you stay simple? How long will you continue to scoff? Why will fools hate knowledge? And then he says this, if you turn at my reproof, if you repent at my correction, behold, I will pour my, out my spirit to you. I will make my words known for you. There's three groups of people that are mentioned here in this, in this passage, these three audiences that wisdom is speaking to. First off, there is the simple who love being simple, right? Though simple in the book of Proverbs, this is the gullible person, right? The person that will believe anything that they hear. This is the person that's still very impressionable, still has not figured anything out yet. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. The simple person has not become wise or foolish yet. They're still making that decision. The simple person here is a gullible person. Scoffers then also are, are, are one of the other, is the second audience. It says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? The scoffers are the hard-hearted. The person that when they hear, they go, stupid. Right, the scoffer, the hard-hearted person. Then it says, then the fools and the fools who hate knowledge. The fool is kind of in between those two extremes there. She does, what she does is she calls them to repent. Lady Wisdom calls them to repent. Jesus also calls us to repent when we hear the gospel. He calls us to receive him and his word. Repentance is the key response to Jesus' message. You must recognize that you're on the wrong path because of the foolish choices you've made and you continue to make. Then you must choose to follow Jesus. 
Wisdom then promises two things to you. If you follow wisdom, wisdom says this, if you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. First, you will receive Jesus' spirit. Turning to wisdom will lead to receiving the spirit of wisdom. There's a lot going on here. What is the spirit of wisdom? That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot going on. The spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 hovered above the waters at creation to make the world. The spirit and wisdom were also given to the temple builders in the Old Testament, the tabernacle builders and the temple builders in the Old Testament. People like Solomon. You can look in Exodus chapter 31 when they went to build the tabernacle. God said he gave his spirit to the people who would build it. The tabernacle and the temple were patterned after the Garden of Eden. So they were in a real sense a rebuilding of creation or a new creation. The spirit of wisdom is also given to the Messiah since he will ultimately make all things new in Isaiah chapter 11. Since the spirit built creation according to the pattern of wisdom and harmony, having the spirit is essential to walking according to that pattern. As we've described already, Proverbs describes the, the, the ideal world, the way God intended for his world to work. So in other words, when Christ gives his spirit to those who respond to him, the Holy Spirit, the one who created the world, the one who was there at creation, he will help you to live your life in this way, that is in this ideal way. Spirit is given to you to transform you and to empower you to walk in wisdom. But you must repent to receive the Spirit. When you do, the Lord promises in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 27, I will place my Spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes. The second thing that Jesus promises here is that if you repent, you will understand Jesus' word says, I will pour my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom will illuminate his teaching so that you can understand it and walk in obedience to it. Jesus had promised this in his teaching. I know we just finished the book of John. If you can remember back a couple of months ago, Jesus, part of his teaching about the Holy Spirit, of who the Holy Spirit is, he said that the Holy Spirit would guide us to all truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand and remember Jesus' teachings. He had promised that the Holy Spirit would do this. The Holy Spirit also is the one who inspired the Word of God to be written. So He is the one who also will illuminate us to understand it through Jesus. So, the, so, so then, respond to the invitation of Jesus, the wisdom of God, by repenting. That's the proper response. To Jesus. Secondly, we see in this passage that refusing to accept Jesus will wreck your life. Refusing to accept Jesus will wreck your life. The truth is that all of us have failed to live up to the standard of wisdom. Wisdom is clearly linked to the Lord and to the judgment that he pours out. The Lord is the one who ridicules and laughs at the wicked. Look at verse 26 here. It says, I will laugh at your calamity and will, I will mock when terror strikes you. Scriptures reiterate this same point in Psalm chapter 2. It says, the Lord in heaven laughs. 
at those people who, the, the, the kings who reject the Messiah. Wisdom then moves from accusation to sentencing. She says that trouble will come. Rejecting wisdom will lead to calamity and terror. Look in verse 27. It says, when terror strikes you uh, like, a sto- uh, like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, she's talking about when they reject him and when they reject wisdom, this is what will take place. Calamity and terror will take place. Calamity refers to things that will wreck your life or things that go bad. Terror here refers to the things that you fear most. Wisdom says that refusing her means that your nightmares will come true. The thing about which you lie awake at night, strategizing how you will avoid them, are the very things that will happen to you if you refuse wisdom. Perhaps that hidden sin of pornography will be exposed and your wife will be devastated. Perhaps that affair with your coworker will be exposed and your children will never forgive you. Perhaps your refusal to discipline your children when they are young will lead to them wrecking their lives. Your refusal of wisdom will catch up with you. And even if it doesn't catch up with you in the short run, it will catch up with you in the end. There may be some of you who think that everything's okay because you are able to hide the porn. You're able to hide the flirtatious relationship on Facebook and you think you will always be able to manage it. You think it won't ever catch up with you. It will. There will be a final judgment where all things are exposed and brought into the light. You will ultimately reap what you have sown, even if you don't in this life. You may walk in foolishness and even prosper in the short term, but eventually foolishness will ruin you. Verse 28 then tells us, says, because they have hated knowledge, did not choose the, choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my approof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. The final judgment is certain. It's certain. Eventually, it will be too late to repent. There's no second chance once final judgment is cast. If you continue to reject the kindness of Jesus, even his kindness of letting you ruin your life in foolishness right now, eventually, it will be too late. Once final judgment is rendered, there is no turning back. So what's the answer then? Today is the day of salvation. Scripture tells us this happens to them because they did not fear the Lord. All of the practical wisdom in this book exhorts you to do uh, all, the, all the practical wisdom that this book exhorts you to do and all the foolishness it warns you to avoid is ultimately about whether or not you've accepted the Lord. The reason you are caught in that sexual sin, can't finish your homework on time, or shoot off at the mouth and get yourself in trouble, it's not because you're an idiot. Ultimately, it reveals that you have rejected Jesus. 
You're not in a right, right relationship with God, so you're not walking rightly through his word, through his world. This will ultimately mean judgment. Your failure is not a failure of effort or desire. It's that you've missed Jesus. Wisdom, that is Jesus, is the mediator who brings us into right relationship with God and the world around us. We must choose humble faith in the Lord over your own way that seems right to you but leads to death. If we notice in verse 31 and 32, look back at those verses. It says, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Notice here that the calamity on the, on the fool is self-inflicted. The calamity is self-inflicted. Ultimately, God will give us exactly what we've chosen. The thing that God tells us in Proverbs that are not his way, uh, the things God tells us in Proverbs are not his way of reigning on our parade, but rather his way of telling his beloved children how life works best. We end up hurting ourselves, this text says, when we choose autonomy from God, when we choose to live our lives apart from God. It's not just that sin is wrong, although it is, but sin is also destructive. The wages of foolishness is death. We see the fool here. Where does it lead them? It leads them to their death. The judgment for unfaithfulness to the Lord is death. The apostasy or the abandoning of the Lord or the inexperienced, it will ultimately kill them. The word apostasy is used both in Jeremiah and Hosea for cheating on the Lord. Foolishness isn't about mental capacity. Foolishness is rebellion against God. The sentence for that is death. So maybe you're sitting there and thinking, is that the gospel? Is that really the gospel? Scripture shows here and is clear that God hates evil and hates sin. It must be dealt with, and it will be dealt with. Alistair Begg has a beautiful description about the gospel, and I think it relates really well to this. He says this, If you, if you read Ephesians 2, it says, When you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, you were made alive in Christ. How can dead people come to life? They will take a miracle. You see, this is the gospel. The gospel is not a word of encouragement to people who are sort of well-meaning people who would like to add a little religion to their life. It's not a word of encouragement to people who would like to have a little Jesus in their life. No, the word of the gospel is a word that comes to the rebel heart. I am a rebel against God. I may be indifferent to him. I may be antagonistic to him but I'm actually rebelling against him. He then comes by the Bible and he says, I'm commanding you to do an about turn, to repent of your sins and believe in me. And that an individual responds to the Lord. There's no way that's going to happen. 
It'll take a miracle for that to happen. Yes, it will. That's the miracle of regeneration. It's the work of the gospel by which the dead person becomes alive and is made new. So we look at this passage, it seems rather dark. It's because it is. The gospel is not just some nice phrases that we can tell ourselves so we can go about our day. The gospel is a word to the rebel heart, calling us to repent from our sins, calling us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Which brings us to our third point. Accepting Jesus leads to true life. Look at verse 33. Here's the good news. Wisdom says, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That's the good news. Listening to Jesus or following wisdom will bring security. Now for the people of Israel, the people of Israel are told in the law that if they will follow the Lord, that they will dwell secure in the land. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about that you'll have financial security if you believe in Jesus. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel message that that wisdom is giving here. Rather, what wisdom is saying is that you will not have enemies taking over your land, right? To the people of Israel is what he's telling them. You're not going to get driven out of your land. You're going to be able to have the promises of the Lord. They're going to be yours. The promises of the Lord are going to be yours. And that is what the promise is to us. Not that we will have security, not that we'll never have trouble, not that we'll never have hard times, but the promise is that ultimately the true promised land is ours. That our home in heaven is secure. That our true home is secure. This is a security of a spiritual state, not necessarily a material state, although it can be, right? Walking in wisdom, as we'll see in the book of Proverbs, does, can involve financial security, but the book of Proverbs is also clear that it does not guarantee financial security. In fact, oftentimes the Proverbs will, will, will compare the rich man and the poor man. I love one of the Proverbs I read this week. talks about how the rich man... Uh, has a high ransom for himself. But the poor man doesn't have to worry about that. Right? Think about all the movies you've seen where someone who's really wealthy has their child kidnapped. They say, give us $20 million because I know you have it. Right? Now, who in the world is going to kidnap a poor man's son and say, give me $20 million? That'd be stupid. Right? It's not going to happen. You know, I prayed, when I I read that, I was like, Lord, I pray I'm not ever wealthy because I don't want anybody kidnapping Curtis. (laughs) That was kind of where my mind went on that one. So the scriptures are are, are very helpful. The Proverbs are not stupid. The Proverbs are not proclaiming a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The Proverbs are clear that by wisdom, you can, yes, you can save money through long, hard work. And absolutely, that is a wise thing to do. And the wise person seeks to leave an inheritance to their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Right? But wisdom is also clear that having money isn't always a great idea. It's not always the best thing for you. Essentially, then, walking in wisdom is walking where God has placed you. Doing with your finances what God has called you to do with your finances. 
being obedient in those ways. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel being preached here. Rather, it is a promise that God will take care of you. And it's an ultimate promise that God will bring you to the promised land. He will bring you to heaven with him. The reality as we go through Proverbs is we all find out that we are all, we have all been foolish. At times we've all failed to walk in wisdom. The good news is that wisdom isn't a thing. Wisdom is a person that we can trust. He will forgive your failures and enable you to be wise. But he also warns you not to be complacent because today is the day of salvation. So here's the call of wisdom. Turn to me, repent of your sin, and follow me. How will you respond? Maybe you're here and you're a believer. You say, well, I'm already a believer. Like I said, every one of us, even people who are believers, will walk in foolishness. Turn back to Jesus. Repentance is also for the believer. There's areas of your life where you know you've walked in foolishness, where you want to trust the Lord and give that to Him. This is an opportunity during this invitation to make that decision, to pray that, to pray to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him for help. If you're here today and you're not a believer, say, you know, I've never believed in Jesus Christ for my salvation. My life is a constant struggle. There's calamity all around me. And now I know the reason is because I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you today that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. (laughs) Don't put it off. Have that relationship with Jesus today. During this invitation, you can come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. Grab me after the service if you'd rather do that. I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, Let's let's, uh, close our time in a word of prayer.